today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Guys, when we grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of Christ, grace and peace just begin to abound in our life. If I'm never in the Word, if I'm never under the teaching of the Word, if I'm never studying and growing in my understanding of who God is and who Christ is, you know what? The grace that I feel, the peace that's mine, it doesn't grow either. But the more I come to know who God is, the more I come to know the greatness of the love of Christ for me. Man, my peace is extended. It abounds at that point in time. Because I know if God loves me as much as I'm learning and growing to know that He loves me, then what does this world matter? In order to mature as a Christian, you must grow in your faith and in your knowledge of God. The world offers many things that will draw you away from your devotion to God. Today, Pastor David will encourage you to be a student of God's Word. As you draw closer to Christ and grow in godliness, you will conform to His image and the things of this world will not be as important as they once were. There's more to studying the Bible than to simply read it. You need to take what you learn and apply it to your life. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Peter as he begins his message, Trouble from Within. Then uh, around the mid-1800s, when the captain of a brand new British man of war, the HMS Victoria, he received a, a signal light message from directly in front of him. The message was, attention, ship at sea. Advise an immediate correction of your course 30 degrees to port to avoid an imminent collision. Well, Captain James Graham Goodnow was indignant at best. He responded to his first officer to send this message. This is Her Majesty's ship, the HMS Victoria, the newest and largest warship of our time. Our three decks have a displacement of 6,959 tons. We have a complement of 1,000 officers and men. On our decks, we are armed with 120 guns. We do not turn aside for anyone. After a short moment, the captain received an answer. This is Her Majesty's lighthouse at Portsmouth. We are not able to turn aside. Please correct your course. (laughs) There's times in our lives that we need to pay attention to the warnings that are given us. Regardless of how we feel, we need to pay attention to the warnings that are given us. A few weeks ago, um, we started on Wednesday night to do First and Second Peter 
Uh, I got so excited about 1 Peter that that's all we got through. We didn't get 2 Peter. So I'm going to invite you tonight to look at 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter is a great and powerful book of warning to the church of the first century, but it's also a warning to the church of the second century. Now, 2 Peter is only three chapters long, so I'm putting in also tonight the book of Jude. And one of the reasons, because number one, the book of Jude is very short, but also there is a lot in Jude that is actually in Second Peter, and we'll see that as we get into the, uh, the uh, passage uh, this evening. Second Peter, probably written right near the end of, of Peter's life, and as Peter writes here, he is writing again as, as a warning to the church. He's, he's now some 30 plus years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The church is now about a generation or so old, still young, but yet it's also aged in certain ways and it's become kind of set in its course in some ways. We, we know from our other studies in the New Testament that very early on in the church, uh, problems started coming into, both from outside as well as inside. In First Peter, we actually looked at the problems that were coming from the outside, the persecutions and the trials, the tribulations that were attacking the church from the outside. Second Peter, he actually speaks about the issues that are going to be happening or that are happening already from inside the church. Again, false teachers that are rising up and, and several other issues. He's writing to the church here, not only to, to warn them of these problems that are already within the church, but to encourage the church to grow in their faith and to keep guard against any kind of false teachers, to keep guard against a growing apostasy, particularly from those whose faith is only on the surface. You know, again, we're not immune to that even ourselves. People whose faith is only on the surface, whose Christianity is only at most skin deep, they may speak the things of Christ, they may speak a good game, but in reality, are their hearts truly changed? Do their hearts really belong to the Lord Jesus? And are they desiring to walk in him in the fullness of what his desire is? Peter writes to them, first of all, again, introducing himself, Simon Peter. But I love how he puts here, I am a bondservant, I'm a doulos, the the slave. First of all, he is the slave, and then he says, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter understood that his position as an apostle was actually secondary. The most important thing in his life is he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I dare say, whoever you are, whatever your ministry is, whatever your pedigree might be, whatever your degree might be, whatever place you hold within a church or within any kind of organization, your first and your foremost place and purpose and calling in your life is as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has called us to that. And in other areas, he uses us. But first and foremost, we are his servants, called to be his servants. He's writing to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, he doesn't put himself above them. He says, no, I'm writing to you. You've received the same kind of faith I have. There's nothing different in any way. A like 
precious faith, and it came to us by the righteousness of our God, not by our righteousness, not by our ability to be able to do anything special, but because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's another interesting thing here. The article, our, he says, of our God, and he doesn't say, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that most of you are in an absolute agreement that Jesus Christ is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And again, many people say, well, you know, the Trinity is not spoken of in the Bible, but yet the very essence of it, the very principle of it, we see all over. Peter has absolutely no problem in saying, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I love this portion where he says that grace and peace be multiplied to you. If your boss came up to you and says, hey, listen, I want to add to your salary, you think, hey, that's really nice to add to my salary. But if your boss says, I want to multiply your salary, wouldn't you rather have that? In the same way, he said, man, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And how does that happen? How does that grace and peace of God become multiplied in our life and grow in such a great way? He says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Guys, when we grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of Christ, grace and peace just begin to abound in our life. If I'm never in the word If I'm never under the teaching of the word, if I'm never studying and growing in my understanding of who God is and who Christ is, you know what? The grace that I feel, the peace that's mine, it doesn't grow either. But the more I come to know who God is, the more I come to know the greatness of the love of Christ for me. Man, my peace is extended. It abounds at that point in time because I know if God loves me as much as I'm learning and growing to know that he loves me, then what does this world matter? What do the attacks of this world matter? I can walk in peace and I can walk with that understanding of the grace of God, that it's not me, that it's all about him. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The knowledge of him, that's the knowledge of Christ. He actually uses the word knowledge like five different times in just a few short chapters. I think it's important. I think that Peter is trying to drive home as important to you and I is we need to learn. We need to be students of God. We need to be students of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be students of the Word of God, and that's the only way, really, we're going to know who God is. That's the only way that we're going to have a good and balanced and correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. There's a lot of books about Jesus Christ. There's a lot of quote-unquote religions that speak about Jesus Christ, but yet they're not speaking about the same Jesus Christ that the Word of God speaks about. They speak about a man-made Christ. It's the Word of God that, again, allows us to grow in that knowledge and that understanding. He says there, as his divine power has given to us, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What do I need to do in my life 
to grow in my godliness. I need to grow in my knowledge of him. I need to press into him. I need to, again, know him even as I'm known in order that I might grow in my godliness. And the closer I am to the Lord, the closer my life is going to conform to his desires. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, being established in the faith as you have been taught and abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul also tells us there in Colossians, he says, beware, be careful, be on guard, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For it's in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Guys, man's religion will throw all kinds of requirements on you. Man's religion will put all kinds of stipulations on your life that in order to do this, you've got to be this and you've got to be that and you've got to be that. And yet the word of God says, no, what you need to do is just continue to press into Christ. You need to draw closer to him. He has given you all that is necessary for life and godliness. And the closer we walk in him, the more we are going to be conformed to his image. And as we are conformed to his image, guess what? All that other junk is going to fall away. All that other stuff, the allurements of the world, it's going to fall away. Why? Because I'm falling deeper and deeper in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more I love him, the less attraction that the world has. The more I love him and the closer I grow to him, the less power the flesh has. Why? Because I love him so much. Because I desire him so much. I want to please him. The world, the tradition of man, the principles of the world, and all of these things say, well, in order to do this, you've got to be this. You've got to deal with that. You've got to be responsible for this. Guys, it's not by the acts of our flesh. It's by the work of the Spirit as we draw closer to him that we start seeing the victories in our life over the things of the flesh. It's by drawing closer to him and being found obedient to him and falling more and more in love with him that we are strengthened in the inner man to be able to, again, as he says, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He goes on, um, verse 4, by which he has given to us, he has given to us. It's not that you've earned it. He has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, you and I, we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, don't misunderstand this when it says we might be partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become little gods. There is unfortunately a large teaching even within Christianity, some areas of Christianity that says, oh, we are all little gods. No, we are not little gods. We have one great God who loves us in our failings, in our failures, in our mortality, and he desires to pour into us 
immortality. And in that process of growing close to him, that divine nature begins working within our nature. We are partakers of it because he is working within us to work and mold and shape us to be the men, the women, the young people that he desires us to be in order that we might escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, we look at that word lust, and the first thing we think of there is like a a sexual lust. But you know what? We lust over a lot of things. Lust is anything that draws our attention away. Lust is anything that can command our attention. Man, I I can have lust for this or lust for that. Granted, the most usual thing, we're dealing with sexual issues, but in here and in the context of this, it covers a wide stream of area. Anything that pulls us away from our devotion to Christ, suddenly I'm drawn, I'm attracted, I desire other things other than Christ. Peter here says, no, he has given us these exceeding great and precious promises that through these, through receiving these, through, again, growing in that knowledge and in that grace, we might escape all that corruption that's there. Let's move on, verse 5. He says, but also, for this very reason, for what reason? For the reason of you and I growing in our relationship with Christ, growing and being strengthened in our inner man. For this very reason, giving all diligence. Diligence. I love that word and I hate that word at the same time. I love that word because I know what it means. That means, man, this is the goal, and whatever is in front of me, I'm going to press toward that goal. If there's a mountain in front of me, I'm going to climb over that mountain. If there's an ocean in front of me, I'm going to swim through that ocean. Whatever the barricade, whatever the thing is, I'm going to push through. Diligence means that I'm going to press through, and I want to continue for that goal. I hate that word because you know what it calls for? It calls for commitment, and it calls for persistent commitment. It calls for discipline in our lives. And my flesh screams out and goes the other way. But he says, no, by diligence, giving all diligence, you need to add to your faith. There's way too many Christians that say, yeah, man, it was back like in uh, 1970. That's when I received Christ. Yeah, it was back in 1970. I sat down and, 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 and a guy led me in a prayer and I, and I received Christ as my Savior. So yes, I, I know that I'm a believer. I, I had faith back in 1970 to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, is that it? Is that all there is? You know, 30, 40, almost 50 uh, years ago, is that the end of it? No, Peter says faith is just the beginning. That's just the doorway that opens up our relationship. He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is a great word that we hardly ever use anymore. To say that he is a man of virtue or she is a man or a woman of virtue. We just don't hear that anymore. We have people that are being questioned for positions within our government and all the questions, but are they asking, are they a man of virtue? Are they a woman of virtue? When we go to the polls, are we looking for the ones that are going to push our position or are we looking for men and women of virtue? I dare say we need to be looking for men and women of virtue who are honest, who are faithful, who are, again, aren't drawn aside by by any other way than just doing the right thing. Virtue, add to your faith virtue, valor, courage, those kinds of issues that come into virtue. And he says, and to virtue, knowledge. And that's the very thing that he said before, knowledge growing with our understanding, but more than book knowledge. Guys, it's got to be a heart knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. 
to self-control, perseverance. That's, that's that ability to stand fast, to, to be able to stay. When everything is pushing against you, when every, every battle is coming, when, when all hell breaks loose against you, to be able to stand your ground, to be able to persevere against every attack of the enemy and add to your perseverance godliness. In other words, making those right choices, those things that are going to honor him, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And what that means is, man, you need to treat people right. We need to treat people in the same way that the Lord treats people. Let's face it, sometimes we wrong each other. Sometimes we'll say something, we'll do something, and I'll hurt your feelings, you'll hurt my feelings, or something that was said that I heard that you said, that somebody said that you said, and then I find out about that, and suddenly I'm, I'm all heartbroken. You know what? In, in the body of Christ, we need to move beyond those things. We need to be men and women who are willing in love to go and to speak to each other and not let the enemy throw in a wedge and throw in a divisive spirit that would come and, and divide the body of Christ and break up that understanding of brotherly kindness and that to that kindness, that love, that agape love, that agape love that gives all. He says, for if these things are yours, and they abound. If they are yours and they are abound, they're growing, then you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be fruitless in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That brother or sister that's been a believer for 20 years or 20 weeks or 20 months, there's no fruit in their life that really demonstrates Christ. If there's nothing like, uh, again, you could, you could go to the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, say none of those things are really being shown within their lives. And the question is, is, are they really growing or are they still back at that point of, I asked Christ to save me from my sin, but I'm not really growing in it. I'm not growing in love with him and I'm not being conformed to his image. And there's nothing that really shows. He says, if these things are yours, if they abound, you're going to show fruit. There's going to be evidence within your life. People are going to be able to see you and realize, man, that individual, not only do they know God, but they are growing in their relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. For he, verse 9, for he who lacks these things, he's short-sighted, even to blindness. And he's actually forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. That's a pretty powerful statement. Forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. Yeah, I prayed that prayer back then, but nothing has really changed in my life now. And I'm not ever hardly focused on the reality of my relationship with Christ. I'm just living my life day to day and day. Man, that, that is a barren, barren life as a believer. And there's not going to be any fruit in that life. If you lack these things, you're blind. You've forgotten, number one, why you are cleansed from your sins, how you are cleansed from your sins. You've forgotten the fact of the brokenness that needs to be in your life and my life as we come to Christ. And Peter is warning the church here, man, you need to stay on track. It's so important to stay on track. Look what he says. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's that word again, that diligence. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot there, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it sufficiently. But let me look at this one. Be very diligent to make your call an election sure. Do you realize that what he's saying is you need to test whether or not you're truly saved? And he's writing to believers. You need to do this check on a continual basis. Why? Because I doubt my salvation? No, in order to confirm, to affirm, and to be solid in the reality of it. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray, too, for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.